0: But it, has a, it is working now. Um, Acts 19, verse 8, speaks to us about uh, the transforming power of God's Word and how God's Word grows and prevails. And although the Bible, God's Word, is widely available throughout the world, although it's the most read book in, in the world, there is still, clearly, quite a bit of occult, idolatry, magic, spiritualism, superstition dominating throughout this world. Even, and we'll speak a little bit about it uh, towards the end, even among people who call themselves Christians, even though the Bible is so clear In condemning these things, there is still an awful lot of it, too much people who are in spiritual darkness, people who uh, have their understanding darkened by sin, people who are spiritually ignorant to the lives they live, they fall into these practices. They have these kind of beliefs that we read about uh, in this passage. You know, the city of Ephesus, this city that uh, where Paul is now, was a city that was famous worldwide, or the known world that, that is in the, uh, the Mediterranean Roman Empire. Uh, the city of Ephesus was famous for all of this. It was known not only for the worship, uh, idolatrous worship of the goddess uh, named Diana, but also for the practice of magic, of superstition, of the occult. There are ancient writings that speak of the the letters or the or the books of Ephesus, and they, which was a, uh, was a, a huge and. There are still remnants of it uh, in museums across the world, Uh, books that were filled with religious uh, rituals, uh, with uh, names and formulas, magical recipes. Ephesus was known as the center of all of this at that time. So as we read through this passage, we see uh, how the city of Ephesus is plagued by the prevalence of these (coughs) things. But the other thing we see is the power of the gospel in overcoming and prevailing and transforming these things. It's, the God, uh, it's God's word' ability to transform even the darkest of situations. So as we come to this passage, I, I want us to be aware of this, but not just from a historical curiosity point of view. Because let's be honest, our own society, London, the city of London, in many ways, is plagued by the same thing. Our culture today is plagued by the same dark practices. There are many in our City in this city, who are drawn to the occult. There are many in this city who are drawn to the worship of false idols. There are many in this city who who have superstitious beliefs that they think that they can bend uh, and transform nature around them uh, if only they do this the right way. So as we come and consider this, let us remind ourselves that it's not just a figment of curiosity from something that happened two thousand years ago in a city in what is today modern day Turkey. It is a living testament of the things that we face as the God's people every generation. Even if you think that, perhaps I'm over-exaggerating, that there is not so much superstition in our world this day or in, the, in our culture this day, I would ask you to go on YouTube or to go on, on, uh, on, on the internet, not to name names, and, and check the, and see the, the ceremonial opening of the, I think it was the Commonwealth Games in, uh, last year in Birmingham. The paganistic practices, clearly there to be seen and displayed. A bull coming through and people bowing to it. It was just a dance and a choreography, some would say. I would say it's much deeper than that. You see, there is this this idea that the humanity has uh, overcome superstitious practices. That humanity has has moved forward. That we are now a scientific people. I think one of the because is one of these uh, atheistic uh, uh, famous people. He said that that that, it's, that mankind, the, in the, the knowledge of mankind, is the hope that we have for the future. It's all in here. It's all just for show. It's all just a a, a make belief As soon as. They abandoned God, which was their point, abandoning the God of the Bible, they turned back again to their religious practices. A good part, if not the vast majority of our society still lives in this spiritual darkness, still lives dominated by the fear of the unknown by the fear of, of the forces that they know are there, in the deepest sense in their heart, but they cannot control, to, and this fear causes them to act uh, in, this, in this way. It's still very much in our intellect, in our, in our, in our makeup. We cannot do it away. Even the, the whole environmentalist uh, agenda thing, it's paganistic. It's, it's deeply paganistic. Here's Mother Nature. She's virginal, she's, she's defenseless, uh, uh, and, and, and she's in need. And here's mankind, this parasitic, uh, dark force that needs to be combated. It's, it's all of it. It's very occult, very mystical. It's all very normal. In human history, so as we come and we see Paul facing and encountering these these uh, these practices, and as we see how these uh, these things interact, we we need to remind ourselves that it's for us that these things are written for our edification, for our instruction, for our help. Today we will consider how Paul, uh, the, how the gospel was preached in uh, in Asia, in Ephesus, the capital city of Asia. We'll consider secondly the how the the confrontation happened between the 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 occult practices and uh, and the gospel of the kingdom, and thirdly how the word of God prevailed. So, firstly, the gospel is preached. This. Um, Is more of a reminder. We are all very, f- very familiar now with this with Paul's pattern. He f- first goes into the synagogue. We know that Paul how Paul uh, acts when he comes to a new city. He goes to the synagogue. He's there for three months. You you might remember that the Jews in Ephesus were actually very happy to have Paul. They actually wanted Paul to. Uh, but but after three months, opposition rose after three months uh, of, what seemingly, uh, of a seemingly positive uh, reception, the Apostle Paul uh, had to end his uh, time in the synagogue. Because some local Jews, we read in verse 9, some local Jews were uh, speaking ill of the, of the way. They did not believe, but they spoke evil about those of the way. And the Apostle Paul preferred to leave with all those who had believed. And then uh, he went to a school, the school of Tyrannus, uh, Tyrannus uh, um, and there he continued his work. The stubborn rejection of the gospel happens in, uh, in both Jewish and as we see as well in, in, uh, in Gentile quarters. But they harden their hearts. You reject the gospel, then, then you harden their heart, your hearts as well. It's a, 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 a never-ending never uh, feeding loop. You reject, therefore your heart is hardened more, you reject more, your heart is hardened more. And, and that's what we see happening here. You cannot remain neutral. You cannot remain neutral. Either the word of God transforms you, or you're going to push or get back against it in different ways. Not everyone is as vocal as a a staunch, militant atheist, but you will push back against it. Let me quote to you from from what John Calvin says, commenting on this passage, he says regarding those who reject the reprobates, those who reject the Word of God, he says, the Gospel does either make the reprobate mad or else more obstinate, and that not of nature, but accidentally, as they say, because when they are urged by the truth, their secret poison breaks out. So as the gospel is preached more and more clearly, the gospel of the kingdom is preached more and more clearly by Paul in the synagogue, he rejects, and at some point they reject the the gospel, and they start speaking evil, and at some point Paul does exactly the same thing that he has done in the past. You don't want to listen? I'll go elsewhere. I'll dust off my jacket. Thank you very much, I'm going. And he goes to the school of Tyrannus. By the way, before we mention it, i speak a little bit about the school of Tyrannus. The, the description of the believers here, or the description of the gospel, of the way. The way. It's a wonderful way of referring to, to, the, to the church or to refer to the, to the gospel. It's the way. And that's the truth. At least they, they got something... Uh, it's the way the God The gospel points to a way, the only way, the, the way of eternal life. As for this, as for the school of Tyrannus, we don't know anything about it. To be honest, we we know that it, it was in Ephesus because the Bible tells us so, and we have not. We don't have much more information, but it was probably. Uh, uh, Tyrannus was probably an educator, a philosopher. This was quite normal in society in those days. And Paul uh, took the converts from the synagogue there. He probably either rented uh, the school or or maybe Tyrannus could have been a believer. We don't know. And he, he gave him uh, use of the school, of the place. But over those two years what is important is what we read in verse 10 over those two years because he was there reasoning daily the persistence there is of of note as well for us he didn't just preach for a couple of days and an hour hour and a week or it wasn't just that he was daily persisting persuading and reasoning there in the school of Tyrannus for two years and many and all we, we are told that dwelt in Asia, not the continent of Asia, by the way, when Luke when speaks <coughs> of, of Asia here, is speaking just of the region of, of Southeast uh, Turkey today that was uh, designated as Asia, still quite a big region, all of them came and heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Greeks. And obviously, this might be a... a we do not need to understand the all here as all literally every single person, but uh, the vast majority, the, the 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 great majority of people came and heard uh, Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and he had a fruitful ministry. That's what it says. The, the ministry in Ephesus, that's what we're being told, was fruitful. He managed to reach out and 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 touch. Uh, quite a bit of, uh, of sub-regions, of uh, districts within Asia. Asia, all of them hurt. And probably in, it was in this period as well, as we think about what's happening here in the greater context of the story of right? Acts, probably it was in this period as well that Paul uh, trained up men like uh, Epaphras, like Tychicus, Trophimus, and Philemon. It was probably at this period that churches like the churches that we read of in the book of Revelation, Smyrna, uh, Pergamos, Tityra, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, it's probably at this time that these churches were planted, founded by the apostle or founded by his assistants during these years of, of preaching. So it's significant for us to see what's happening here. Not only on the on the outset, but as well, the impact that the church in Ephesus had in the rest of, of the history of the church. Think about it. First Corinthians, the letter to the Ephesians. As you turn and flick through your New Testament, one and two Timothy. Traditionally, uh, we are told that the Gospel of John and the three epistles of John were written in Ephesus. They are all associated, well, the letter to the Ephesians wasn't written in Ephesus, was written to uh, the Ephesians in Ephesus. But they are all in some way associated with this city, with the work that starts at this point. And this is beautiful and wonderful to see that in the same sense, that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament. You could actually say that the Ephesians were entrusted with the with the with the, as custodians of the New Testament books. And there is a deep irony here. If this is the case, there is a deep irony here because if Ephesus was known as the place where all these magical, uh, superstitious books were stored. And now here we are, Ephesus transformed by the power of the gospel, no longer storing the, the, the books uh, of Ephesus, the, the magic books that is they were known as the books of Ephesus, no longer storing those but now being custodians of the word of God. That is deeply ironic and so like our God to do the places where darkness where darkness was at its strongest now the light shines at its brightest and that's what we see as we move forward in the text we see confrontation the Empire of darkness being confronted by the by the kingdom of God and it advances how does the kingdom of God advance is it by military power is it by 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 all kinds of of uh, interesting uh, ministries and, uh, and man-made activities. No, one simple thing, the foolishness of preaching. It is by the preaching of the word of God that the empire of darkness, that the gates of hell are being pushed backwards and not prevailing. It's by the light of the gospel shining that these things are happening. It is the God's word that unmasks the words of darkness it is what's happening here in Ephesus. And as we know, and as we've seen up until now, Satan reacts. There has to be a reaction in this cosmic warfare going on. As the kingdom of God expands, Satan is going to react. And he has all kinds of devices in his reactions, in in all kinds of ways of doing so. But he does. He either violently opposes... The ministers of Christ, the servants of Christ, the children of God. Or he tries in some way to confuse, to to falsify just that little bit the message, so that if, that, that everything uh, no, that everything becomes mixed up. It's no longer black and white. It, it starts becoming shades of grey. We will see in in, the, in next week how uh, the violent element displays itself. But here we see that pervasive, uh, wanting to murky the waters uh, that Satan is trying to do. He masquerades as an angel of light. He, he, he ministers uh, as if he is a minister of, of, of righteousness. And, and, and we see here how he does it. Some Jews, some Jews start to, to exercise in Jesus Christ's name. Oh, that's not great. Because then it's, it's kind of like syncretic. Some of these practices that were occultic practices that were there, they start becoming mixed up with Christianity. And by doing that, we, he, Satan is trying to to water down and to confuse, to to mistake God's power, God's transforming power, with paganistic superstitious occultic practices but ultimately as we read on we find that actually it just serves to show even more of God's power in verses 11 and 12 of this text Paul's preaching in Ephesus is accompanied by unusual miracles I wish I could ask Luke what he means by unusual miracles, because miracles are by by definition unusual. They are by definition (laughs) extraordinary. He is not. It's a somewhat redundant uh, adjective or expression. They are already extraordinary, unusual events by nature. But what I think Luke is trying to do is. In using these words is to emphasize the unusual character of the miracles which God performed uh, or worked through the Apostle Paul. And what he did is is extraordinary because of the extent of it. They were bringing handkerchiefs, they were bringing aprons that that, that touched Paul's body to to people who had. You know, evil spirits uh, or who or were diseased, and they were immediately healed for, or, or the spirits went out of them. That is extraordinary. That is amazing. Sick and demon-possessed people being transformed. They were healed, they were delivered, just by touching some article of, God, uh, of Paul's clothing. This is not an. This is not new. We read in the, in the book of Acts that Peter, by only by passing through and his shadow being cast over the, the sick the sick and the and the demon possessed, they were healed and delivered. And we read of Jesus, uh, or, or of the healing of the woman that just touched the hem of of, of our Lord's garment. You see, God is not constrained by by ordinary means in his work. He can work with them, without them and he can even work contrary to them. He is not in a box. He is God Almighty. But these Jews were were here trying to to do these things. They see Paul doing it. Might as well use the same formula that he uses. Every time hope, uh, praise, and, and ask for things. He puts this magic formula in the end. He says, in Jesus' name, Amen. So if we start doing the same thing, we're going to find that it works. That's how they were pre, uh, predisposed. That In Ephesus, it was all about having magic formulas. This was just another one. And particularly these syncretic Jews uh, were doing so. Just as a, an aside... I need to bear in mind this, huh? Just as an aside, Jews were seen in in uh, Middle Eastern cultures and Mediterranean cultures of, of of that day. They were seen as uh, sort of very powerful individuals, individuals with very uh, deep spiritual insight. Insight. It was not too uncommon. In fact, we have that record in our uh, in our scriptures. Uh, in Acts of uh, uh, Roman proconsuls and of people, governors, having Jews, Gentile politicians having Jews in their courts because they believed that Jews had a, a special way about doing things. And uh, they were considered to be the best kind of exorcists, the best kind of, of, uh, of, uh, of a spiritual magician-like advisors we read of about jesus Elemas, the advisor to, to Sergius Paulus, in particular in Acts 13. And this is not the, the norm, or the, the orthodox part of uh, the cycle Jew, uh, religious Jew. This would be syncretic, other syncretic Jewish groups that would be outside of the land, and then we read about Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, and his seven sons. They were doing; they were trying to do the same thing. Let's expel in the name of Jesus. And what happens? Their attempt. We expel in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches as well. They were frustrated. The evil spirit not only did not was not expelled, but the evil spirit rose up and gave them a beating. He, he overpowered them and he prevailed against them. They fled. There's some, something of a, a, a funny twist here where they're naked and wounded. They fled. Like, it's like God is saying to them you, you're using Jesus' name, but you don't know the power. It's like you're trying to handle a, 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 a rock when you actually have a grenade in your hand. And the mishandling of it it proved fatally, or not fatal in in the literal sense, but it proved very badly for them. It exploded in their hands, and a lesson was taught to them about the danger, and to us by the way, about the danger of using the Lord's name in vain, of using uh, God's name um, for our own benefits. Certainly, Jesus' name has power to heal, but it's not some kind of mechanistic. If I only add Jesus' name at the end of my every prayer, I will get it. No, it's Jesus himself that has the power. Ultimately, and again, I'm emphasizing the irony to here, but that rather ironically, it was not the unclean spirit prevailed against them, the Jewish uh, the seven sons of of Sceva. It was actually God prevailing against them. It was actually God bringing uh, things, putting things in order. It was actually Christ prevailing against them, not allowing them to use God's word in that way. Not to use the Lord's name in that way. Let me read to you once again from Matthew. I just find it Find him so deeply moving and and practical. He says about this passage this is written for a warning to all those who name the name of Christ, but do not depart from iniquity. The same enemy that overcomes them with his temptations will overcome them with his terrors. And they're adjuring him in Christ's name to let them alone with no security. Be for them. If we resist the devil by a true and lively faith in Christ, he will flee from us. But if we think to resist him by a bare using of Christ's name or any part of his word as a spell or a charm, he will prevail against us. Let this be a warning for us to depart from iniquity. Finally, the word of God prevails. Verse seventeen to verse twenty, we read that that there was a, a quite a good a great number of Ephesians, both Greek and Jews, that turned to the Lord, and fear fell on them because of this. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds, and this is a marvelous. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them and in total 50,000 pieces of silver. The power of the preaching of God's word yet again transforms the heart. His word became known to the inhabitants of the city and they turned in from their sins. Many of those who practiced magic, this is quite interesting, uh, Brought their, their books together again; those very famous books, the the Ephesian books that were so uh, they were the pride of that city. They brought them together and they burned them in the sight of all. They publicly recognized the diabolical character of what they are doing and that of what they were doing, and they burned them. You know, when you're transformed by God's words, when you're truly transformed by the Spirit of God, you will flee from those things that brought you under condemnation. It's not that we don't struggle with sin, but it's often the case. It's often the case that those who are born again of the Spirit, Those sins that were so noticeable and so prevalent, not that they will struggle with sin as Christians, but those particular sins that were so prevalent in their lives, they actually are some of the easiest sins for them to put away. Then they will struggle with other uh, indwelling, with other sins in their lives. And this is the case. The the Ephesians here, they understood. The issue for them was clear. It, It was Jesus' versus the occultic practices of their day. And with the Lord's help, we're going to burn them all. We don't want anything to do with it. We don't want this temptation anymore. We don't want this. The Bible is clear although they didn't have the New Testament at this time, the Old Testament is clear from from Genesis to to Malachi. God does not accept occulting practices witchcraft and those kind of things condemned by god it is considered to be spiritual adultery as a metaphor in scripture it's as if you go and you sleep in a, uh, and you have relationships with with a with another woman you're 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 in, in Covenant with this God, but yet you're doing all these things with, with all of these these idols and all of these superstitions and all of these witchcraft. It's like it's as if you're uh, sleeping around. That's what the what spiritual adultery is. False preaching powerfully brought them to this conviction. And they cheerfully were willing to part with their most precious possessions in their previous life as a show of how they were transformed. They showed that they were indignated with their previous sins and that they were guilty of them and that they, they felt ashamed of them. They showed that they, by burning these books, they showed that they, they didn't want ever again to return to them. We don't want these books anymore. Burn them up. We don't want to see them. In a, we don't want this temptation again. They had those books in in case they you would have a book like that in, in those days. In case something a danger came upon your life and you wanted to 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 mold or to twist things in your favor, you would have something like that. But now they don't have them, no not want them anymore. They understand that the danger is that come their way, it is God and God alone will save them from them. They will more, they have no more use for stuff like this. But even then, you might say, oh, great. But there is more in this action of theirs. Because They did not need to burn them. They could have just given them away to some friend who wasn't a Christian or maybe even get some of the money that they spent back, sell them in the marketplace. But they didn't want anyone else to go down this path. They didn't want anyone else to fall prey to these uh, flames. That's often the case, isn't it? With us as believers. It's often the case that, or it should be, it ought to be, that we having escaped the, the wrath to come, we want others to as well. We don't want others to fall into it. And finally, they, they could have done this in the privacy of their own homes. Why didn't they? Why didn't they just go in their own backyards, gardens, American I think, in their own gardens and burn their books along, maybe get a few of them together, but not go in the city center and show everyone. That's very foolish, right? Not, not to do, you're parading now, you're sure. No, they wanted to testify to the city, they wanted to testify to everyone what they had done, or what they had seen by what they had done, are doing. They wanted everyone to see the power of Christ. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, okay, I'll put a, a few of my books. Uh, books were expensive in those days. I don't know how many they were. I, but books were very expensive in those days. Nowadays you go to, the, to Amazon and you buy a book for two pounds, three pounds. But books are inexpensive. But in those days they were handwritten. They were meticulously crafted and copied. They were beautifully designed. We are told that it's 50,000 pieces of silver worth for those books. I, I didn't do much research, but did my research. One piece of silver was equivalent to one day of, a, of a, an artisan's work. It was basically a day's wage. We're told here that it was about... Uh, that it was 50,000 day wages. 50,000 days of work. I went on Google, I, asked, uh, I looked that up. It says that the average day wage in, in, uh, in, in London... It's going to be millions, basically. It's going to be millions of pounds of money lost that day, burned up that day. Why? Because they knew the danger of it. And finally we have the summary statement saying that, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. It is as though God approved of their action. It is as though God Put a yes and an amen in their in their in the in their actions, in the, and they found that they were drawing others to God through faith in Jesus Christ. When Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, he writes to them, he tells them, he urges them, he tell he, he, he pleads with them. and to consider God's power. At the end of his prayer in Ephesians, he says now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you can think or ask, than all to Him who is powerful be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. When Paul says this to them, it's not just beautiful words that he was trying to put on a piece of paper. He's writing about the power of God to those who have experienced it. And he's saying to him. To him was far able to to who is able to do far above and more abundantly of what you can think or even ask. Give him glory. The people, the, the Christians in Ephesus, in this center of occultic practice, Ephesus never stopped being a the, the, a city steeped in that. Uh, at least in that, in those first few centuries, it isn't nowadays. But it, those Christians there, they needed to be assured, even after being saved of God's power, to keep them safe and to and to help them. They still had to live their lives beneath the shadow of this occultic, dark, Satan-led practices. Christian parents still had to raise their children with all these dark uh, occultic practices around. And Paul says, to him, "Is able to do far above, more abundantly that you would ask then you would ask or think you say, turn to Jesus trust in him if you face trials or temptations no matter what we, what they are it is God who will be able to resolve it it's not the books, it's not the occultic practices it's God through his son who is always lives to intercede On our behalf, it's him who can do it. I have three lessons, or I have three um, points of application here. This passage speaks to us. I'll, I'll just summarize it reminds us once again of the powerful reality of the spiritual warfare, of the cosmic battle that we are going through. All historical events, everything that is seemingly ordinary in our life can and should be understood in light of this great spiritual battle happening. It's only because we live in the 21st century and we've been kind of uh, led to think of, of the material more. We are a materialistic culture that we don't see things this way. This is very an unusual in, and it's mostly cons- contained in the West, uh, in, the, uh, in our generation. Throughout history, people have always known that there is forces at work, things unseen, That's why Paul says to the Ephesians again, "Put on the spiritual armor." Isn't it interesting that Paul uses or encourages the Ephesians, in particular, in light—I believe in light of all these things—to them in particular, put on that spiritual armor. You guys are the ones that are in this battle and at the in the front line. You're in the, you're there in the trenches. Don't forget to put on your armor because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We fight against the powers, principalities, spiritual forces. Put on the armor of God, brothers and sisters, so that we may resist the onslaughts of Satan in our own life. I know it's very unusual, and I, I want to go through the other, the, the other points of application. I know it's very very uncommon nowadays, and I think it's a, uh, what they call a knee-jerk reaction by reformed Christians, not to talk about the, the spiritual uh, battle that is going on. But I think that it's one of the greatest uh, mistakes blind spots of the Reformed Christian movement, that because we've seen how Pentecostals and how uh, uh, other Christian denominations have uh, abused these things, perhaps even behaving a little bit like the the sons of Sceva, we've we've kind of pushed back so much on it that we don't even speak about it now, that we live In many ways, as the materialistic people out there, the secular, ungodly people like that, we don't consider it. We don't understand it. We don't meditate upon it. Let's not go down that route. Let us be mindful that there is, in fact, this spiritual battle going on. And that in this spiritual battle, we have God on our side. He is our help. He is our friend. He is for us is with us, and may the Lord grant us the power and the grace to walk and to live holy lives for his glory, for the glory of his Son, and for the advancement of his kingdom in this dark, dark world.